Welcome to Literary Laughing. <laughs> like you're an audiobook narrator. I'd listen to that audiobook. I can, you can, well, I can tell that I've been listening to a lot of Bridgerton audiobooks, but you're just like, and then, oh, she goes, oh, dear. Colin. Colin. You can't do this. Well, we're about to be married, aren't we? I'm a Bridgerton. <laughs> I'm a Bridgerton. Like, that's their excuse to do anything horrible. It's like, well, I'm a Bridgerton. It'll be fine. It's the most entitled form of bullshit I've heard in such a long time. This is, it would just really make me want to grind my teeth if someone just said that to me. Well, that's my last name. That's who I am. I have to, I am entitled to do these things. It's not that I'm entitled. It's just that, you know, it'll be fine because I'm a Bridgerton. <laughs> so, literary laughing. <laughs> this podcast, we talk about whatever we want. No. We, we book related. Yeah, book related. I'm trying a sour <laughs> beer for the first time, audience. And it is a lot. I don't, I know some people like sours, but it's a very strong taste. Like some of the books that we've had in previous weeks. Did you see how I linked that? Did you see yes. it? Good segue. Good segue. Amy is obviously the author and English major of our duo. I'm Laura. I studied history, not English. But we met in history class. We did. Yeah, I was a history minor. But a major to me. Thank you. Just because we had enough classes together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we're going to bring back the bag yes so with the bag just a reminder this is all the books that we have read up to this point minus two retired books i retired cat's paw and thank you thank you the convergence series <laughs> last time we did the bag book um yeah those but really messed up books um no, great books great writers messed up parts that we read I mean a man killed a dog so it's yeah it's not cool which ones did you retire last time mm, I retired a lot of duke ones actually the duke effect a good duke is hard to find <laughs> yeah and um also the conquered heart which was not about a duke but it was pretty bad anyway uh <laughs> I think it was about Ireland or Scotland or something. We did three. Where's my? What was my third book? Oh yeah, we did do three books. Oh, um, City Girl. Oh yes, 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 yes. By Arlene James. I remember that. That one just kind of got hidden away. <laughs> okay. Well. Is it? Am I going first or are you? I can't remember who went first last time. Didn't? Well, you read first. I don't know that it really matters, but yeah, I read the first last episode, so I think. All right, so I'll go first. I like how I'm like keeping eye contact with you while doing this, so you know I'm not cheating. <laughs> uh, you're an adult. I trust you not to cheat. 
Well, some of the books I actually probably could cheat. I mean, you're pulling a book from a bag. Well, okay. (laughs) There's not a lot to cheat on. Oh, oh, was this one? This was your first book, wasn't it? No, um, this was not my first book. book. Yeah, this was my second book. A third book. Um, the I'm portable, looking this up right now. As I'm the Portable to... Veblen. Yes. Um, by Elizabeth McKenzie. Oh, it's in, yeah, the National Book Award long list. This one was squirrels. Yeah, the squirrels. Yes. Chocolate squirrels, because you're, you did the, um, the guy that, like, saw her from across the room as he's making chocolate. Episode two. Episode yeah, two. it was episode two. Okay. Uh. Oh yes, I read that French chocolate book. Is that even yeah. I'm missing a few books in my bag. Or maybe I did I pass that along to somebody? I'll have to look for that one. Yeah. Maybe you did. Okay, this is weird. This is Amy, and I'm going to read now. <laughs> Amy, please read for us. <laughs> chainsaws, Millie was saying to her dad on the phone, holding Paul's hand. Someone's using a chainsaw? I saw some chainsaws, Millie said again. Honey, you okay? Are you heading back? I could, but I started to feel dizzy on the drive. I think I need to lie down. Sure, honey. Take 40 winks. Okay, Dad. Call me later, okay? Okay, Dad. Dad, I think I should stay here tonight. Stay there. Hmm. Can I talk to Paul's parents? Well, have fun, she said, smiling at Paul. Honey, let me talk to the mother or father. I want to make sure it's okay. Daddy, there's a tree outside covered with flags. What kind of flags? Red and white and blue flags. American flags. Really? That's good. They have a guest room out there for you? Yes, they're cooking. Barbecue, all right. I'll tell your mother it's probably better than driving that that road home alone. Thanks, Dad. Give me the number out there. She gave him the number. Call us before you leave in the morning, all right? I will. Hey, great job at the fair today. I was so proud. Was Mom proud? Mom was proud, too. Millie hung up the phone and led Paul down the steps into the forest, where she took the blanket from him and spread it on the ground like an expert. Then she kissed him. She ran her tongue over his teeth and his lips. She sucked on his mouth and kissed him harder and placed his hands in her blouse, and then she was pushing herself against him, feeling the solid feeling in his pants right by his zipper. And something was there behind those barriers that was hard and powerful, and she pushed against it all. This package she wanted to spring open and unwrap under a tree on a soft bed of duff, and she was pushing him down to open his package. And that heavy belt came first, that impossible bolt and rivet, that <laughs> zipper with rusted teeth that wouldn't budge. And there it was. There it was. A silky-skinned penis. So much larger than a dog's. <laughs> Why did you whisper penis? I don't know. Let's make it awkward. Penis. <laughs> I'll say I'll say it like an adult. Okay. I'm so it's just like everything was going and then it was like, uh, it's just like, okay, let me read it. A silky skinned penis so much larger than a dog's. Why? Why is she comparing it to a dog? This is the boy's point of view. Okay. And so much more colorful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's it a silky skin penis so much larger larger than a dog's comma and so much more colorful exclamation mark it was purple on one side with green stripes and red stripes and small black paisleys around the base and shiny and shapely like a tall ride at tomorrowland millie said paul should we yes i love you he said positioning himself over her 
I love you too, said Millie with a hungry yearning feeling between her legs. He pressed, but it was a bone, and she moved him to a softer spot. More, she said, when he felt a slight give. There, more. Well, I'd been a virgin until a few seconds ago, so was not exactly sure how to manage more, but he tried. More, she cried. She began to giggle and felt the vestigial remains in his baby butt in her hand and saw himself as a master Tillamong ch cheddar log. <laughs> Millie as a quiet grater beneath, a cheddar who wanted to be grated, a grater who wanted to be cheddared. <laughs> And even still, he managed it until he was melting all over her, as Cheddar will do, and his eyes were blurry and confused. And then he saw in a flash exactly how many heartbeats he had left in this world. And it wasn't so many, really. And Millie thought so, too, because they cried and said they wished they were one person. And for a while, they really did feel like they were one being fused in flesh. Wow. The imagery. What an intense scene. I, the pull, like, he was a, what was it? A, a master telemuk cheddar log. And she's the pliant grater beneath. Wow. You know what it reminds me of? Is that or a horror movie where the vagina has teeth? <laughs> oh my God, yes. But this so, is a powerful penis. But yeah, but instead of like the teeth, it's a grater and the penis is cheddar. So, um, yeah. Wow. That was a reading from the Portable Veblen. Interesting imagery in this book, for sure. Yeah, definitely a talented author. I just, yeah, I don't know that I could read the entire book. Didn't you read the entire book? Isn't that from your personal collection, Amy? Yes, I did. I, I, this, yeah, I read this entire book and that's why I knew it was perfect for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's so random that's what I love it's just like and boom and then there's a penis well and then it's like and then let's compare the penis to a dog penis and that didn't even get into his family because Paul's family is really interesting too in this book so yeah they're like they they're like hippies that live in partially like a partial nudist colony and that's why the dad was like honey are you sure you're okay partial nudist colony that well even it's like a yeah like they're like nudists that would walk around and the parents are getting high and then like it's an interesting book wow mm -hmm. okay wow Laura's turn oh was I supposed to describe that cover again or no so if anybody uh, wants to know it's just the squirrel it's a squirrel on a blue background yeah you can't put it back. I saw you wanted to put it back. <laughs> she wanted to put it back, back so bad. Because in my mind, I was like, oh, this is just from the last episode. This is the episode that I just uploaded. So that I just mm. listening to. So I have The Wild by oh, no. Driver, which is the metamorphosis guy who's turning into a wolf because of his midlife crisis and his visit to his San Antonio, Texas zoo. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Lara is not happy with her selections right now. Okay, I'm just gonna read. Okay, okay. Uh, I will read uh, this selection. You don't have to feel pressure to select something. 
Well, I flipped it open to this, but I thought it was leading into that rapey scene. Uh-huh. But I think that's a little bit later. So I was kind of reading it to make sure because I didn't want to jump into it and surprise us with like a little, oh, the rusty zipper, a penis moment. <laughs> a penis. <laughs> I love the way you whispered it. I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> Okay, I shall begin my reading. Then he found himself throwing back his head and howling. The sound that came out was not restricted as it had been before, controlled by the uneasy human consciousness that was so quickly becoming a supercargo. Now the sound rose fine and tight as a needle piercing the sky. It shaped itself to a long sonic spire, then spread out like a flower in the light air flowing softly across the frozen land. It evaporated into silence. Bob was disappointed. Where were the wolves? Why wouldn't they answer? And then they did. Echoing across the far hills, sweeping past the naked limbs of the trees, as cool and as sharp, delicate, the answer came and his tail twirled wildly. He'd been spoken to across miles by a real living wolf. He had spoken wolf to wolf. As a wolf, he was here in this place and he was one with the whole kingdom of the wolves. The howl died away, ending on a low note that carried in his tone a text of warning. Bob howled back at once, all of his excitement and joy flowing into the soft, curving sound. The reply came as quick from the north and from many wolf throats, a high scream of a note speaking volumes of subtle language, building pictures in his mind of limpid eyes and fast teeth. Was this alien speech rejection or welcome? He listened, and their voices touched him to the bottom of his life. He wanted to be among them, to be one of them, to love them and live among them. Cindy, they're wonderful. They're like God. Cindy, I I still miss you. He started out at once, tracking him with a competent nose. Even though he was still in New York State, he'd encountered a wolf pack. A big one, too, judging from the number of different voices in their howl. He found himself looking around for a payphone to call Cindy and tell her to get in touch with the Department of Environmental Conservation. Wolves in New York, what good, what happy news. Then he thought, maybe the DEC already knows. What if they did tell the public? Would the people come forth with their guns, eager for trophies, eager to kill the evil thing of the woods? No, the presence of these wolves must remain a secret. In their world, they were powerful. They were kings, but in a man's world, he had to remember that they were vulnerable little creatures without a future. He smelled them again. This time, when the wind blew from behind him, this scent was stronger and he detected in it something new, something so exciting, he almost collapsed. A female odor, definite, musky, deep as wood and so intense that for a moment he could actually see her, the face of a perfect beauty. It sleeks now its fine black ball of a nose and the heartbreaking line of the eyes, so expressive and subtle. He was embarrassed and confused. This was not a woman's face, but it was the most feminine face he had ever seen. Wow. He's thinking with a wolf penis. I guess. Oh my gosh. He ends up skipping ahead. Um, he did not move fast. If he ran, his back, shoulder, and thigh hurt, and when he breathed deeply, his ribs wrapped him in a band of pain. Trotting along, he again scented the female. Something turned in his loins, and he moved faster despite the pain. He was astonished at himself. He was having a strong sexual stirring. This was the mating season for wolves, or the beginning of it. 
He did not feel the steamy sense of desire that Cindy evoked in him. This was more pure than the inventive love of humans. This was lust in a form so simple that it was perfectly clean. It was sex devoid of all but purpose. His desire made him imagine the gentle aroma of cubs, feel their soft fur. He had to father cubs, had to. He gasped as he ran. He panted even in the cold. His desire came cracking through the layers of self. Cubs, cubs, cubs. She was in heat. She was a goddess. We had to have her. He stopped, raised his muzzle, and howled. <laughs> I have to put the book down. It's so gross. <laughs> oh, wow. Such a weird book. I like the fact that you had to skip. So there was like a bunch of fluff in there about him just wandering around in the forest going like, there's wolves. I smell wolves. Yeah, he's running along and thinking about his wolfiness. And then it skips straight into the purest form of lust. Wow. Pups, pups, pups. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so weird. Oh my gosh. Okay. What do you have for us? Mm. Pick up that bag. All right. The bag. I'll pick up the one that I said I know I could cheat for. Okay. This one because it's covered like a library book. (laughs) Mary Jo Putney. Once. Um, Once a soldier. Okay. Um, is this the same is this the book where he calls her a little owl is this the same book that I used or that was in the same episode as the book that I just read read like something on the last page he calls her a little owl this isn't the one where they turn into owls no about that one no 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 he like has this weird nickname little owl for her you know what I don't think I don't think it is that one because the one it was from the rogue files oh no no I think it is this one because she's holding out the sword like she's gonna give it to someone is this from the rogue files or the rogue something the rogues redeemed yes yes that's so funny that you picked this book because this is from that episode that I just uploaded. Is it that he calls her an owl? She calls, like, he calls her an owl, right? Yes. He does it in two of you. Oh, yeah, my darling little owl. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to find it. I have to verify it. Yeah. I must know. <laughs> oh, and I'm drinking Blue Owl Brewing. Oh. We don't get any ads from them, so don't worry. That's not an ad, people. We're not sponsored by them, unfortunately for Amy, who is our beer drinker. Well, I mean, it's just more of like a, we're not sponsored. We are free for, uh, we are open and ready for sponsors to approach us. Yeah. Cool. And call us their little owls. (laughs) The bleak of impossibility of what he was saying. Forgive me if I'm misunderstanding, but are you actually proposing courtship? Indeed I am. A courtship of two weary but wise adults, he hesitated before continuing. It's possible I am too old and jaded to ever be fit for marriage again. 
You're not that old, she said firmly. He smiled a little. Perhaps not, but I've seen too much of the world and made too many mistakes. I often feel the same, she said. Perhaps that is why I interest you. Very likely. I have trouble imagining myself making conversation with a typical well-bred young lady back in England. No more than I could converse with an English country gentleman, the sort who cherishes delicate females, she said wryly, which is one of several reasons I've sworn never to marry. Never is a very long time. We change with age. Things that seem implausible can come to seem desirable. True in theory, but I'm settling happily into eccentric spinsterhood, she retorted. I doubt I'd change my mind. But you do concede the possibility of changing your mind, he smiled. I can work with that. So, ugh. She couldn't resist smiling back. You're very persistent, Will, but you haven't much time to change my mind. True, he said thoughtfully. Are you willing to experiment? My brother's wife is full of interesting thoughts and theories. She said that courting couples meet under such artificial circumstances and see so little of each other that it's far too easy to choose one's life partner very badly. Was she mistaken in your brother? Athena asked, surprised. No, but they didn't meet under artificial social conditions, he will <laughs> explained. Curie met Mac after she narrowly escaped engaging herself to a man she met conventionally. It would have been a very bad match for her, so she now advocates avoiding conventional courtships. In what unconventional way did she meet your brother? Athena asked curiously. He rescued her after she'd been kidnapped by smugglers. Will grinned. So they skipped superficial chat and went straight to deeper issues. Wow. This is the same book where she says, what is the worst life experience that you've ever had yeah along those lines yeah this is uh this is that kidnapped by smugglers of course i should have remembered that's the very best way to meet a husband athena said with mock seriousness she sounds like an interesting woman you'd like her will promised as if a future meeting was in inevitable but the two relationships the wrong one and the right one inspired curie's theory of how to quickly learn a great deal about a potential partner what is her Suggest a method, Athena asked reluctantly interested, to ask each other difficult questions, the kind that make one reveals oneself, he explained. It isn't easy, but the process is far more useful than exchanging pleasantries over tea and cakes or trying to converse in a noisy ballroom. She frowned. That sounds deucedly uncomfortable. What if one party flatly refuses to participate? Doesn't that tell you something important right there? It says that the prospective mate is uncomfortable with emotion and intimacy. Athena said thoughtfully. Most people are uncomfortable with revealing too much, of course, but one would hope for more from a possible mate. Are you game for a few questions now? He asked, his gaze intent. If we don't immediately alienate each other, we can continue to ask a question or two a day. And then that's when they go on to start talking about questions. We can only ask a question or two a day. Yeah. That's what you should do. Ask your partner a question or two a day. I, that's actually pretty good. Actually, I yeah. Like but I don't think you should be limited. Like, you may only ask me one question a day. Like, one hard question and what easy question. Like, did you like my cooking is the hard question. And... <laughs> Yes, no, maybe. Mm. <laughs> I ate it. 
So once a soldier is now gone. On the shelf. On the shelf. Back to Lara's book. This annoying sound. Oh, it's a double. It's a Christmas double. Oh, let's see. If I choose the Christmas one next, that's going to be really weird. Yes, this will do, actually, the first thing I flipped here. So you had a good day? I had a marvelous day. She turned her back to him to stir the simmering gravy. All afternoon, she'd been trying to come up with a way of persuading Paul that she should join the other women on a daily basis. He'd been so unyielding in other matters that she dreaded a confrontation now. I suppose you want to go back. Carolyn whirled around, her heart in her eyes. Yes, yeah, so are you okay with that? I think it's more your decision than mine. She understood what he was saying, but bit back a ready reply when she took slices of meat from the oven and forked them onto a platter, which she set on the table. Unless you trust me again, she said, her eyes holding his. I know I won't be able to prove I'm trustworthy in your eyes. Then do as you wish. Caroline was so pleased that she was hard-pressed not to throw her arms around his neck and kiss him the way she had that morning. It wasn't until after they'd eaten that she realized how much she actually wanted to kiss him, but quickly pushed the thought from her mind. Later, she found herself humming while washing the dinner dishes and paused, surprised at herself. She was happy, truly content. She turned to watch Paul watching her as he dried the plates, and they shared a smile. Once again, they played a heated game of Scrabble, but without any wagers. This time, Caroline won. Mm. Note that I didn't use a single dirty word, she told him with a proud snicker. Paul chuckled and reset the board for a second game. The next afternoon, and for several more that followed, Caroline joined the village women for their daily knitting session. The first few days, the women were shy and didn't say much to her. Gradually, they opened up and she became privy to the village gossip. More than one of the women seemed to find something about Caroline amusing. Every time they looked in her direction, they leaned over to the woman next to them and whispered something that made the other smile. Finally, when Caroline's curiosity got the better of her, she asked Tanana about it. The young woman blushed. They say you are a fortunate woman. Fortunate? I don't understand. Yes, you have Paul for your lover. They're envious that at night he sleeps at your side and holds you in his arms. They say that you will have many healthy babies with Paul. He is, I don't know the English word. <laughs> I, uh, the part where she has to ask permission to go to knitting. Because he doesn't trust her. What does he think she's going to do? I don't know. I don't know. So strange. It is very strange. I wow. need you to trust me before I go and knit with women. With women. You trust me. But I'm glad we can do dishes together and play Scrabble. That's very nice. A heated game of Scrabble without a heat. single dirty word. Not even penis. <laughs> <laughs> multicolored penis. It's not even penis. <laughs> or Telemuk. Telemuk cheese. What was her name? Telenana or something. Anyways. Did you want to pick another book? Oh. <laughs> oh. And then that's 
professional politics and zombies. Wow, you're pulling some old ones here. I am. This is exciting. Oh, well, this is, um, uh... so I opened it up and the title of the next chapter is Neoconservatism and the Axis of the Evil Dead. Wow. Yeah. Okay, this might be a little bit too real, but I'm just going to go for it. And uh, I guess for the skippers that find this uh, book boring, you might as well just get, we'll find this interesting, won't we, Laura? This is Amy, and I'm going to start reading. Amy, please read your selected book. Provided that the morass of other possible existential threats did not distract them, one would expect neoconservatives to detect the zombie menace at an early stage. The neoconservative policy response to an uprising of undead flesh eaters would be simple and direct. Zombies are an existential threat more serious than any clash of civilizations. To paraphrase Robert Kagan, humans are from Earth and zombies are from Hell. Neither accommodation nor recognition would be sustainable options. The zombies hate us for our freedoms, specifically our freedom to abstain from eating human flesh. As one of the zombies explains in Dan O'Bannon's Return of the Living Dead, gals eat brains because it is the only thing that eases the pain of being dead. Neoconservatives would scoff at the realist contention that zombies are like any other actor in world politics and at the liberal contention that global governance structures could cope with the zombie menace. The school of thought would instead recommend an aggressive and militarized response to ensure the continued hegemony rather than wait for the gals to come to them. Neoconservatives would recommend proactive policy options that take the fight to the undead. Their policy preference would be for an armed invasion of the central region and the zombie affected areas. Deploying armed forces in gal infested territory would serve two purposes. First, it would act as flypaper, diverting zombies from expanding their dominion. Second, this use of force would eventually drain the swamp of the undead menace. The oh, drain the swamp. That's always swamp. a winning slogan for political mm-hmm. campaigns. Oh, yeah. The neoconservative policy preference on zombies is predicted on the revolution in military affairs permitting swift victory. Based on this military doctrine, neoconservatives would recommend relying on high-tech combat tactics with a heavy focus on air power and special forces to shock and awe the living dead into submission. The hardcore neoconservative position would assert that the use of American power would create a new reality in which the zombies themselves would yearn to break free of their undead state and rejoin the human-based community. Oh, Um, wow. That's kind of a long stretch, though. I think if they have the power for shock and awe, they should just, like, blow them away. Well, I mean, they they say that they're going to just want to come back to humanity and away from their hell. But, I mean, is it really a choice? I guess it matters what you think the origin of the zombie is, and I forget I what's true. So, I think of it more as a virus, not as a mental health choice. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Moderate neoconservatives would, depo- would adopt a more nuanced position. They would posit that after creating a human outpost in the center of zombie-infested territory, humans and neighboring zombie afflicted nations would be inspired to rise up and liberate themselves from their undead oppressors. 
all neoconservatives would welcome the crusade against the undead as worthy of the martial spirit and national greatness that embody the best virtues America has to offer. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is great. A war against zombies would surely be a war against evil itself. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then went on to compare it to uh, World War Z. So. Never actually saw that movie. I did. We talk about this during that episode. Wasn't Brian Pitt in it? I haven't. Um, I haven't read World War Z or watched it yet either. I don't know if I'll ever get around to it. I think it. I just, it's one of those things that if you don't do it at that time, unless you end up in like a random Airbnb and that's the only thing to watch and you're like, well, why not? Mm -hmm. Or somebody else puts it on. I, I don't know that I would actually choose to watch it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it wouldn't be my first choice of a zombie movie. I like the humor. Oh. The zombie movies like Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland. There's something like it's scary, but it's also how I hope I would survive the zombie apocalypse with just yes. a little bit of humor to it. Yes. Uh, do you, I forget, do you watch subtitled movies? Um, I, I watch anime. Does that count? Yes, because I'm going to recommend a Japanese movie to you. That is, it's probably one of the funniest movies that I've seen in years. Uh-huh. It's a zombie movie. Okay. But it's funny. Text. So I uh, I have to look up what it's called. Oh, okay. it's I think it's called One Cut. Okay. The uh this reading right here was actually very helpful for my story. <laughs> Are you going to elaborate? Well, oh, I was okay. Um, because of the neoconservatism of there would be a militaristic state for the survival of humanity if yeah. zombies did rise up. So it's going to be like you first you have to extinguish the horrible ones and then sorry, zombies. Um if anybody identifies as zombies. You know, you have to extinguish the ones that want to eat everybody's brains and just goes to find anything that's living to kill it. Yeah. So, but if a zombie has reason, then there can be debate. Hmm. This makes sense. I guess, yeah, it does depend on what you think the zombie apocalypse is caused by or the zombie. If, is it a pandemic? Is it mental health is it a virus is it but the virus still leaves them undead so if somebody got the virus and they died but they continue to wander around looking to eat something how there's no cure for that yeah i don't think they're gonna make a choice of oh my gosh look at all these military weapons i guess i'll stop being a zombie <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you show me my head could be decapitated, I decided I'll take this gear. <laughs> now that you've shown me the shortage of food, <laughs> perhaps I should reconsider my life's path, my unlife's path. 
You know what I think? It's that vest. You're wearing a very nice vest with a big eagle on it and a wonderful flag. And I think that looks amazing. So I will join you. Back to the living. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Zombie reasoning 101. <laughs> our, our new podcast. <laughs> it's in a little appendix in the book. Appendix Z. Not for zombie. It's Not for zombies. Yeah. Okay. Do we have time to read one more? Or are we? Yeah. You have to do your. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to do your third. <gasps> a wolf apart. Oh, goodness. Definitely a theme here. Wait, wait, wait. Go back up. Let me see this. Well, because different. here's why. So the wild was about the guy turning into a wolf. The Christmas yeah. one has puppies pulling a little sleigh with presents. Yeah. And then this is the guy who's got the wolf eyes. It's like, That's what I thought. Yes. And then he's got amazing abs. <laughs> yeah. But the abs are also a snout. Yes. Okay. Wow. Oh my gosh. What? Okay. Let's just read this one. Okay. Let's go for it. When she reaches the escalator, I'm blocked in at the bottom and all I can see is her hair licking against her back. Kind of a gross. Oh, this is the one that was concentrating on trying to eat her jugular. Bite her. Yeah. That was oh, that yeah. really weird sex. Yes. And she's like, just do it. Just bite me. <laughs> just, just go for it. Just, uh, okay. Yeah, stop. She turns and looks to me. And when she finds me, she smiles, her body relaxing. There is no hand at all. Just the courage to be open and joyous in a world that always seems so calculating. At the top of the escalator, she stands to the side, shrugging her worn canvas backpack a little higher on her shoulder and waits until I finally get to her. I can't help but pull her up while she slides one arm around my neck and the other around my back. Her body pressed against mine and she raises her face to me. If Penn Station didn't serve as Hell's vestibule, I would mount her right here. <laughs> okay. Grabbing her hand, I race for the street, throwing my body in front of the cab and helping the elderly couple out. My trade, I shout as I bundle Thea in. I give the cabbie my address and tell him to take the West Side Highway. Yes, I know it's out of the way and cram a handful of 20s through the partition. Then I slide the window closed. Someone has scratched home in the plexiglass. Thea straddles my lap. And when I look down, her eyes follow mine to the enormous bulge bent to the side. She chortles against my mouth. <laughs> Did you just throw up a little in your mouth, Amy? doing he's like uh yeah sure in the bed in my back is this please. a handful of 20s i think he owes him a little bit more for what's gonna take place i know and the guy's like oh wait uh there's gonna be a traffic jam here please don't um mm, i don't get paid to sanitize don't get paid well. to sanitize Anyways, she chortles against my neck and I find myself laughing, something I haven't done for so long that the memory of it feels like a dream. If you don't move me, I whisper, I'm going to break. She slides her hand down and under, rearranging, but she doesn't let go. And with every curve and halt of the cab, her hand jerks a little and this part of me that simply could not get heavier and thicker does. <laughs> it's a film of cheese. <laughs> 
mommy with these backpack held to my front so as not to offend civilized humans for whom sex is something that is best kept off stage. I mean, I feel like I fall kind of in the middle there, but this is like too much. This is in the back of a cab that other people are going to get into. At the door, I fumble with the key, then open it wide, suddenly anxious. I've never had anyone in here. And last night, when I tried to imagine it through her eyes, it was so sterile. The asbestos white carpeting that I never walk on. The, the hard, narrow so- sofa I've never sat on. The white resin cast of coral that I've never known the purpose of. The glass front refrigerator that holds nothing but batteries and ice. Why are there batteries in his fridge? I don't know. Maybe it's the batteries of the refrigerator. Doesn't his refrigerator plug in? Batteries in the refrigerator? And an untouched bottle of pricey vodka left by the broker. This isn't home, I want to say. My home, my real home, is rich and complicated and alive. Okay, he just goes on to describe his home. Well, they're not as safe. Okay, apparently, according to Google, it's not safe to put batteries in your refrigerator or freezer, in case anybody was wondering. Um, She leans against the wall, untying her boot. It's very clean, she says, seemingly at a loss for anything else. Just then, she loses her balance, dropping her foot. Little flecks of dried mud and leaf fly across the pale wooden floor. She grits her teeth. I'm sorry, she starts to say. Do you have a broom no i don't want to clean it up i don't want her to be sorry for bringing something real into my life i envelop her my back shielding her from all this crappy nothingness her body relaxes into mine lengthening against me her hands slip around my neck and my waist my her lips brush my cheek and the sunken wound near my nose my eye my mouth what my tongue breaks in, at first just tasting the sweet bitterness of mint and coffee. My hand struggles with the button at her jeans. Penis. <laughs> Not yet. Let me, she says. She doesn't pull her body away from mine, but slides her hand down between us. I press closer that, so that when her fingers twist against her button, that twisting rubs against my crown. When she pulls at her zipper, her hand glides down to the root and rests momentarily against the heavy weights beneath. <laughs> you can't keep it together while reading this okay i'm sorry it's just funny because it's tying into the other book now she looks at me with an expression of pure lust humans apparently categorize lust as a sin like wrath or sloth or envy or anger or those others that i'm forgetting right now we understand those they have consequences for others but lust, that overwhelming need to please and be pleased, how is that a sin? How is that anything but pure? Wow. wow. So, wow. yes. Another wolf feeling the lust. Yeah, naturally. She's the wolf. He's the wolf. He's, he's the wolf. He's the wolf. She's the doctor. Uh, right, right. She was the one where we didn't know what to call her because she wasn't necessarily a veterinarian. She was the wolf doctor. The wolf doctor. The wolf doctor. <laughs> like he came back after he killed a deer and was like, honey, I'm home. This is me. I'm a wolf. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That was interesting pulls from the back 
And there are still more in the bag for another bag week. Another, another week bagged. Uh, cool. I don't know what else to add here. Yeah, I think that's that about wraps up this episode of wolfy zombie little owl reads. Yeah, a little little owl squirrel. Little paranormal. <laughs> there was no dukes in this one. Really? Wait, I don't think he's a duke. No, but her father is. Isn't she uh, a bastard? Yeah. Isn't her father a duke? Maybe that's what it was. It finds a brother in the end or something. Yeah, there's a duke in the end. Something like that. Yeah. There's some royalty in that one. Yeah. Don't forget the talking squirrels. No. We got squirrels, we got owls, we got wolves. We got them all. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you go read a book. Bye. Bye.